multiple sclerosis is a devastating disease and the cure seems far away. What's being done to help patients right now? You're listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that drives cures to patients by repurposing current therapies for new uses. And joining us today to talk about MS research and the model of the Myelin Repair Foundation is Scott Johnson, president and founder of the Myelin Repair Foundation. Scott was named in 2006 as one of Scientific American Magazine's top 50 worldwide for business, science, and policy leadership. Prior to founding MRF, Scott led three startup companies and served as an executive at FMC Corporation and the Boston Consulting Group. He holds an MBA from the University of California at Berkeley and a BS in civil engineering from the University of California at Davis. Scott, welcome to Reach MD. Thank you very much, Bruce. So tell us, what is the Myelin Repair Foundation? We're a nonprofit that is focused specifically on pioneering a new model to change the way academic medical research is done. And we're focusing initially, as we pilot test and, and prove out that model, on myelin repair for multiple sclerosis. So it sounds like you have sort of a dual purpose, seeing if the model works and getting to a breakthrough in repairing myelin. So tell us about both parts of that. You're exactly right. If you look at our goal statement, we have two very specific goals, and, and they're around exactly those two things. And the reason for that is back in 2001, I was uh, like 99.9% of people out there in, in the United States, and I had a very different view or, or an assumption about how medical research took place. And I learned that my understanding was incorrect, and this was over the course of 2001 and 2002. And so what I saw was a system that I would characterize from a patient standpoint as broken. And I'd say it's, it's broken in a way from the basic academic research. It's also, if you look at issues going on in the pharmaceutical industry right now uh, with the uh, problems they're having with pipeline and, and, and developing you know, novel new drugs for difficult diseases... I'd say there's clearly issues there. And there's also a disconnect between those two, between academic medical researchers and the companies that need to take discoveries and actually commercialize them. So the first thing I did was I assumed, well, someone must have realized this before, and, and there's got to be some organization out there that's, that's come up with a unique model and that is, is working on that, and maybe that could be copied for myelin repair for MS, which is my distinct interest. And I looked around, and there's some organizations that are doing some great things and some very innovative things, but I didn't see anyone who was doing that what I felt like kind of covering all aspects all the way from beginning to end of that process. So we developed an entirely new model to, to try and accelerate things. And so we realized that if we were going to develop a new model that would be effective for myelin repair for MS, then it would probably be something that would be applicable to any disease. And so our initial goals statement were that we would develop and pioneer this model to greatly accelerate myelin repair treatments for multiple sclerosis, and that we would propagate this model to others, that the model we felt would be so clearly better than anything else available that people would want to adopt it to accelerate their research. And that's exactly what we've seen to date. We've actually had about 63 other disease organizations contact us about the model. And the model is actually very simple. It's, it's actually, I tell people, it's embarrassingly simple. It's kind of just basic common sense in terms of how you might want to try and run something to accelerate your getting to an objective. But the implementation actually is, is relatively difficult because you're dealing with uh, very different cultures, uh, academics and people in the commercial industry that don't interact typically all that much. And so 
actually making the model work is a little bit tricky, and it takes a great deal of effort, I would say, which hopefully will get easier over time. And it has gotten easier, even easier for us within our environment. So tell us about the model and the, the different pieces that sort of seem dysfunctional that you have to put together. And why is this so difficult and unique in the industry? Aren't we all trying to find cures and better treatments for disease? Yeah, I think to your last point there, I think that everyone involved really wants to make progress. I think that's the one thing I see is people, uh, whether they're academics or in the commercial world, are passionate about trying to help people. I think what's happened is the system has evolved over the last few decades where it's made it harder for them to actually accomplish that. And so our objective is to try and overcome some of the barriers that we see and provide incentives such that we provide value to the different parties to help overcome some of the incentives that currently are operating in their world. I mean, for example, what we saw was an environment where you had many, many scientists out there doing individual work in individual silos and not being able to communicate with peers until they really published work. And as most people know, that's a long process. From the time that you think of a, have an idea for an experiment and then put in a grant application, uh, get the funding, do the work, write up the paper, uh, get that published. In general, that's about a four- to six-year process. And so it makes it a very sequential process where really one person does an experiment, then someone else sees that, the results of that work, picks up on that, and moves it forward. And some disciplines don't even participate in the same professional meetings. That, as, like an immunologist wouldn't meet with a cell biologist typically during the course of their career. And yet for modern pair for MS, you really need different entities working together. So what we saw is that that it made it, the current system made it very hard for different individuals to work together. And so what we want to do is create really an environment where the different areas of expertise could be brought together, working in a unified uh, team, executing a research plan that was focused on a result. Because one, one thing that we saw in, in the current world, it's really investigator-driven science, you know, from the different uh, proposals that they put in. And what we believed was that while that's really important for basic science because you, in most cases, you don't know where it's going to go. So you really want it to be um, random and you want really smart people thinking of, of unique ideas for experiments and you don't quite know where those will come out. But our belief is that once you have a certain amount of knowledge in a specific area, that if you become more outcome-directed and have a, a plan and have a team executing that plan, you have a much better chance of making more rapid progress. And so really our model is to have a very specific goal, to have a team of the best people in the areas of expertise that you need to execute against that goal, providing all the necessary resources of that team, and having an overall, I would say, and this is a word that might grate on some academics, but actually kind of managing the process. So that's relatively, I would say, uncomfortable at first for academics because that's not something they really seek out. But if you're really going to be working towards a goal, you need some overall coordination. And so, as I mentioned before, what we try to do is add so much value that it overcomes any negatives of that aspect of management. And so we try and do as much as we can to help the scientists do great science. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Bloom, and I'm speaking with Scott Johnson, president and founder of the Myelin Repair Foundation, an international foundation whose mission is to find a way to repair the myelin lost during multiple sclerosis and other diseases. So let's talk a little bit more specific so our listeners really get a grasp of how you have this structured. So 
Who are the players? How are they structured? And what kind of incentives did you have to put in to make them work together? Well, initially, we identified five principal investigators who were at five different prestigious universities. And oftentimes, when someone might want to attempt something like this, their idea might be to build a new institute and move them to that institute. We didn't think that made sense. Uh, One of the things that we're all about is speed. And so if you're going to build a building, that's going to take a few years. And, And disrupting families and moving people to one location, to us, takes a lot of time and money. We felt like the individuals that we had identified were all at great institutions and had great resources at each of those institutions. So instead, we set out to create a virtual lab so that the team, even though they're geographically dispersed, would really be behaving as a single lab. And I think in our current funding year, we're funding about 28 different experiments, and I believe it's about 80% of those require more than one lab to execute the experiment. So we've achieved this virtual lab aspect because uh, the team is working very closely together. And even though we have a limited number of principal investigators, you might say, we have about uh, 40 uh, full-time scientists working on this effort. So we know that we have the largest myelin repair effort in the world. There's no company that has a larger team, and we know we've got a stellar team working on it. That's what's driven our rate of success to date. And how much does it cost you to keep those 40 people in the organization running for a year? Well, that's a really good question. We originally, back in 2004, had estimated that it would cost us about $25 million over five years to get to our objective, which was to license our first target to a commercial entity. So we started out small. The first year, we only funded about a million dollars worth of research because this was a new concept to the scientists. We were new at it. We were all trying to feel our way. And so our budget has ramped up each year. So uh, actually, we may spend almost half of that $25 million in our fifth year. So it gives you an idea of the rapid ramp up. And it also, I suppose, goes back to our roots as a startup. If you think about a lot of startups, uh, you know, can almost double in sales in every year. We basically almost double in, in uh, R&D spending each year. And that R&D spending is not just with the principal investigators. One thing that we do is look for ways to uh, accelerate their work by outsourcing some, some things, maybe working with uh, contract research organizations, also seeing how we can involve uh, biopharma in this effort. And so not all of the money is split between what we spend among the principal investigators and what we use for other sources. Where are the principal investigators? What institutions are they at? And how do you deal with the intellectual property issues that come up during these discoveries? A really good question. So uh, one of our scientists is at Stanford, one is at the University of Chicago, one's at Northwestern, also in Chicago. The fourth is at Case Western Reserve in Ohio. And we have a new member who uh, is principal investigator and supports the team who is at Johns Hopkins. So those are the current labs that are participating. Uh, But your question about intellectual property actually is a really good one, and we haven't touched on that yet. One of the things that we saw as not conducive to actually commercializing uh, discoveries was the fact that not a lot of biological discoveries get patented. And most scientists in academia believe that patenting will somehow slow helping patients. What they don't realize is that if you don't protect the intellectual property, a company is not going to want to spend hundreds of millions of dollars to try and commercialize that discovery. So we felt it was very important to protect all of the IP that was developed, all the intellectual property. And so we've actively done that from the beginning. We've actually filed nine patents to date. We have eight more in the works. And we just heard today that our first patent issued. In order to do that, we had to reach groundbreaking agreements with the member universities because this was a a foreign concept. 
and we worked out a deal with each of these universities, and they actually saw this as a a huge win-win, and they worked very closely with us on this because they saw this as a template for future collaborations for other diseases. The cure for MS might be decades away. The Myelin Repair Foundation is determined to find a way for MS patients to live long and healthy lives while a cure is being found. I want to thank our guest, Scott Johnson, president and founder of the Myelin Repair Foundation and an MS patient, for taking the time to tell us why he's so passionate about changing academic research and the work they're doing at the Myelin Repair Foundation. I'm attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that repurposes existing treatments for new uses. You've been listening to ReachMD XM157. This has been the Clinician's Roundtable. Stay on top of the latest medical topics by visiting our new website at ReachMD.com, where we welcome your questions and comments. Use the promotion code RADIO when registering online and receive six months of complete access to our on-demand library of podcasts. And thank you for listening.